Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Monday, October 1st, 2018. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, California is ready to do battle over net neutrality. Instagram is under new management. Elon settles with the SEC, and Tim Berners-Lee kind of wants a do-over on that whole World Wide Web thing. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Let's come back to the ongoing battle over net neutrality in the United States. The headline here is that California enacted a new net neutrality law on Sunday, and the Justice Department immediately announced that it would sue California to stop it. So let's take a minute, since it's been a while, to remember how we got here. In 2015, the FCC adopted nationwide net neutrality rules. These new rules came despite strenuous objections from Republicans on the committee, most notably Ajit Pai. When the Obama administration turned over control to the Trump administration, Pai became chairman of the FCC and in June 2018 set about repealing those rules with the approval of the U.S. Senate. So that happened, but one crucial point is that the new FCC rules prohibit states from enacting their own net neutrality regulations. The goal there was to provide a single nationwide set of rules for companies to follow. In the wake of that move, 20 state attorneys general filed lawsuits against the FCC, arguing that their states should be allowed to put net neutrality in place in their states at the very least. Four states also went ahead and crafted their own net neutrality laws. California is the biggest state to enact such a law and the first to face a court challenge. California's new law actually goes a little further than the previous Obama-era rules, a lot like how California's vehicle emission laws go farther than federal emissions standards. Under the new California regulations, which won't go into effect until January, ISPs are prevented from blocking or throttling Internet traffic to broadband customers. California also prohibits what is known as zero rating, a practice where ISPs can offer unlimited use of certain preferred apps or sites while charging for others, a practice that has now become very common in the U.S. mobile broadband ecosystem, particularly around streaming content. So what does this all add up to now? Lawsuits. Lots of them. It's like Christmas for lawyers today. California has promised to vigorously defend this first suit, but we can also expect telecoms to sue California on their own. This issue seems likely to end up before the Supreme Court eventually, so stay tuned. A couple quick follow-ups to what were the big headlines last week. First, it's another episode of Today in Elon Musk. Well, technically, this is this weekend in Elon Musk because over the weekend, the Tesla CEO announced that he had agreed to a settlement with the Securities and Exchange Commission without having to admit or deny any wrongdoing. I guess we should probably do a reminder of all this. The SEC sued Musk last week over his now infamous tweet in which he said he would take Tesla private, that he had the funding lined up, and that the price would be around $420 a share. After that tweet sent the stock price roaring and confused investors, the SEC charged Musk and Tesla with securities fraud. 
The terms of this new settlement are as follows. Elon has to step down as chairman of Tesla's board for a minimum of three years, though he does get to remain CEO. Elon has to personally pay a $20 million fine. Tesla has to pay a separate $20 million fine. Tesla has to appoint two new, quote, independent directors to the board of directors. Tesla has to establish a committee of independent directors to, quote, put in place additional controls and procedures to oversee Musk's communications, end quote. So apparently there will now be an official committee on Elon's tweeting. Still not sure what exactly that last part is going to look like, though. Elon doesn't seem like the kind of guy who'd run his tweets through a committee first, but I guess he's got to do something now. Meanwhile, early this morning, Elon tweeted a link to Naughty by Nature's song OPP, including a winking emoji after the words Naughty by Nature. But again, the big deal of this settlement is that Elon is not removed as the CEO of the company, though the newly controlled board will now have the power to remove him if he continues to be, in a word, naughty. The answers as to why all this had to happen in the first place is unclear, because remember, word was a settlement had been on the table. Elon walked away from it at the last moment. The SEC went ahead and made their announcement that they were going to sue him, and now somehow it's all good. Tesla's shares, BT dubs, have recovered all of their losses from when the SEC announced its charges. The other story to follow up on this afternoon, Instagram co-founders Kevin Systrom and Mike Krieger announced Adam Mosseri would be replacing them as the new head of Instagram. The three were all smiles in the picture in the blog post. Masseri is best known for helping Facebook shift to a mobile-first paradigm and for the years that he spent working on Facebook's newsfeed product. Most recently, Masseri had jumped to Instagram and a lot of folks were tipping him to take over for the founders. Systrom and Krieger said in the post, We're confident that under Adam's leadership, Instagram will evolve and improve and we look forward to the future of the product and the community. End quote. I want to do a sort of data dump on you now because there were some interesting survey numbers that came out over the last few days that just, you know, gives us a sense of where the Internet in general and our gadgetry are at. The Pew Research Center reports that social media use and device ownership in the U.S. has plateaued, suggesting that the market may have reached a saturation point again, at least in the U.S. According to Pew's most recent survey, 65% of respondents have broadband internet service at their home, and basically that number is the same as it was in 2016. Smartphone usage is flat at 77%, same as 2016. Social media usage is also flat, remaining at 69%, again, same as 2016. One statistic does jump out, though, It's just not that it's a huge move. The percentage of people reporting that they own a desktop or laptop computer is down five points to 73%. That means that for the first time in this survey, smartphone ownership finally beat traditional PC ownership in the U.S. by four percentage points. What drove this change? Pew breaks down a few more of the numbers, saying that 91% of U.S. adults ages 18 to 49 own a smartphone and 99% own a cell phone. 99% cell phone penetration, everybody. So in 2018, smartphone ownership is near universal in a big chunk of the population. All these trends together lead to an unsurprising conclusion. Americans like smartphones. 
PCs are slowly declining, but by no means going away, and overall internet access is basically unchanged. Recently, the world learned the power of artificial intelligence, a technology cybersecurity leaders have been leveraging for years. Now, as AI expands and evolves, those same security leaders are left wondering where humans fit into the next generation of AI-empowered security tools and solutions. Arctic Wolf, the industry leader in managed security operations, seeks to answer this question in their newly published report, The Human-AI Partnership. Access the insights of over 800 cybersecurity decision makers in North America and the United Kingdom to better understand how organizations are weighing the benefits and risks of deploying AI tools. Uncover the biggest obstacles to turning AI and human engineers into a formidable team. Discover why the near-term benefits of large language models are being upended by a crucial flaw in the technology. And learn what the rise of AI tools mean for human practitioners moving forward. Get your copy today at arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. That's arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. Want a better way to simplify your business finances across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? If so, Ramp could be a complete game changer. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spend. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Ramp's accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so you don't have to. You'll never have to chase down a receipt again, and your employees will no longer spend hours submitting expense reports. The time you'll save each month on employee expenses will allow you to close your books eight times faster. Ramp's also saves you money. Businesses that use Ramp save an average of 5% the first year. Ramp is easy to use. Get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. And now, get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash techmeme. Ramp.com slash techmeme. R-A-M-P dot com slash techmeme. Second piece of the data dump. Nielsen released results from a survey showing that nearly a quarter of all U.S. households own some kind of smart speaker, such as an Amazon Echo or Google Home. Of those smart speaker homes, 40% had multiple speakers in use. And perhaps most interesting, from a growth perspective, quoting from Nielsen here, 62% of smart speaker owners first started using the device within the last six months with 45% planning to purchase more devices for their home, end quote. The market penetration of smart speakers is impressive, but Nielsen goes further in figuring out what people are using these speakers for in what they call a typical week. 90% of those surveyed said that, no surprise, they listen to music. 81% searched for real-time info on things like weather and traffic. 75% did what I like to call the dinner party search, asking for some fact or piece of trivia or maybe the age of an actor or something like that. Rounding out the survey, three activities tied at 68% usage, listening to news, setting alarms or timers, and, weirdly, chatting with the voice assistant for fun. If you're talking to Alexa because you're lonely. According to the survey, smart speaker usage peaks in the late evening defined as 7 p.m. to just before midnight, and overall usage on weekends is slightly higher than on weekdays. 
Nielsen also asked about smart home integrations, seeking to find out what kinds of gadgets people are connecting their smart speakers to to allow for voice control. Of those surveyed, 17% had some kind of light connected. 17% had their thermostat connected. 12% had their security systems connected. 8% had their refrigerator connected. And in the script here, Chris has some exclamation points and question marks. And I agree. More on that in a second. 8% had power outlets or power strips connected, 6% had a doorbell connected, and 6% had a smart lock connected. So back to that math on the refrigerators. If 24% of all U.S. households now have a smart speaker and 8% of those households have a refrigerator connected to the speaker, that seems to imply that around 2% of U.S. households own a smart refrigerator. I honestly did not think that smart refrigerator penetration had been that successful. Finally today, Tim Berners-Lee, inventor of the World Wide Web, has a new idea for the web. He calls it solid. In a blog post titled One Small Step for the Web, Sir Tim laid out his beliefs about how the web should work and the ways in which, at least today, it doesn't. At the heart of his critique is a belief that users need to control their own data as well as their own identity online. Two things that are typically done by large content silos today who shall remain nameless, at least for the purposes of this segment. When Sir Tim invented the web almost 30 years ago, the web browser was not a read-only app. It allowed users to read and write, effectively editing web pages as part of participating in the web. But when the Mosaic crew came out with their web browser, the one that made the web popular, hint, hint, there's a book about this coming out soon, the editing function was missing. Sir Tim thinks that that was a mistake. Decades later, we have a web where companies, large and small, are desperate to extract data from users, store it on their own servers, and then use it for commerce, all without much knowledge or understanding on the part of the user. The users aren't involved in these transactions as full participants. So what Sir Tim is asking, basically, is what if you owned your data? What if you literally had your own little mini server that held all your stuff? And further, what if apps had to ask you, not Facebook, not Google, not Apple, not Twitter, I guess I lied about keeping them nameless, whether they could access your stuff or sign you in or something? Wouldn't that be better for the web and for, you know, us This is the heart of Solid, Sir Tim's new open-source proposal. Solid is not a replacement for the web. It's a set of technical standards that sit on top of the web. One core principle is the idea of a pod, which is that place to store your data and your identity. Pod is short for personal online data store. Users create their own pods, either renting space on somebody's server to do so or installing a server app on their own computer. The pod is then kind of like a personal cloud. You store all your stuff in there, from photos to documents to whatever you might want to share online. It's also how you log into solid applications. Your pod has to authenticate you to the app. If an app comes along and wants to access your pod's data, the app asks you and you give it permission to do specific things. Along with decentralizing data and identity to pods, another core principle of solid deals with linking data together. For instance, if you have a piece of data on your pod, let's say a photo, And I want to leave a comment on that photo using a solid app. My comment lives on my pod, even though it refers to your photo. The solid system allows for this kind of linked data by expanding on how web links currently work. 
What makes this so interesting is that, in theory, multiple different solid apps could be created to display and comment on photos. So, for instance, if someone made an Instagram clone using solid, all those photos would live in the user's pods instead of on an Instagram server. And all the comments and likes and other data would similarly be shared and distributed based on who created them. This means that if you wanted to take all your photos and your likes and comments and whatever to a different service or you just wanted to take them down entirely, you could choose to do that. Let the best app win or let the Luddite walk away. Imagine how this might affect social networks where there is currently no way to take your stuff with you if you leave. Along with Sir Tim's proposal for Solid as a system, he announced a new company called Inrupt. Why launch a company alongside an open source project? Quoting Sir Tim, While the open source community provides initiative and a deep source of innovation, everyday web users as well as businesses often look for applications and services from a commercial entity that also provides technical support and vital ancillary business services, end quote. Obviously, he's thinking of things like Red Hat and Linux here. Basically, Inrupt is there to make sure Solid gets off the ground and that Solid apps actually get funded, at least initially. It is the first place where you can get a pod, though there are also instructions online right now for how to roll your own. And yes, right now the process is very technical and developer-oriented, though if Solid succeeds, Sir Tim intends for that to change. This whole vision of Sir Tim's is fascinating to me because it's so ambitious. He urges that this is not a replacement for the web, but it does kind of feel like a do-over to me, like... Maybe if we had this built in at the very beginning, some of the problems we have with the current web wouldn't be there. But what incentive would any existing player like Facebook, for instance, have to switch over to using the solid system? Right now, I can't see one. But implied in the solid concept is that the change might come from the users themselves, from being passive consumers to owning their participation in any ecosystem. It is possible to imagine a world where people might leave Facebook or leave Twitter to go solid, I guess. You know those giant data dumps you can download from Facebook and Google and Apple? Well, what if you could import them into solid and then have control over them in a new network of social apps? If this chunk of users gets big enough, they would represent a market either for Facebook to integrate with or maybe more likely for new startups to build future businesses where the value they provide isn't all around hoovering up your data. So I guess the best case scenario, if this were to succeed, if there were a whole bunch of new startups that went in this direction, it would be sort of like the web forking, though not officially. Berners-Lee plans to spend this fall touring the world, sharing the good word about Solid. If you're interested in this, check out the Fast Company article by Katrina Booker. It's short, and it does a great job of showing the human side of this potential new technology. That's all for today. The Tech Meme Right Home was produced by me, Brian McCullough, in conjunction with the fine editorial staff at techmeme.com. Today's show was written by the great Chris Higgins. And since I haven't said this in a while, the theme music was written and performed by Justin Schwinghammer. Talk to you all tomorrow. 